0: We live right now, man, it's going down, siding for the season, you know, we're coming off a playoff win,
1: I mean, you know, we had a couple of wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept.
2: I'm indifferent to him whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting the work for the next five years.
1: If you ask me, can the Bucs win game five, I I'd put it at 40% confidence, Yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen, you can get game six, you can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning games six and seven? Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop podcast, episode 78. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr on this holiday week. Fellas, how are we doing?
2: Doing pretty good. The uh, the gift of Giannis' Supermax has yet to wear off. I'm still as excited as a kid when you first get, you know, something you've been really hoping for on Christmas morning. You open it up. That same feeling has gone into this Sunday um, And we have the added gift of no longer having to watch preseason basketball. So it's it's been a pretty good week, guys.
1: Yeah, I would say the nice thing about Giannis signing Supermax is now, after the Bucks had lost to the Pelicans, I didn't have to also deal with everyone thinking that this is what drives Giannis out of Milwaukee and doesn't have him sign the Supermax. That probably is, goes away. Now we can just complain about the Bucks like we were supposed to, being angry at someone for something, no matter who or what the situation calls for. As we have been for
0: many many years now, we are resilient in our ability to move on from great news and uh, and start turn turn the ire of our fan base upon the the players themselves. So great that we were able to record that podcast. Giannis will be around for a while. We can actually focus on basketball now. And we had a couple of preseason games we didn't touch on that Mavericks lost 128 to 112 in the Giannis emergency podcast. Uh, regarding his Supermax contract because no one cared about the Mavericks beating us uh, when Giannis had just signed a Supermax. That one was a 128-112 loss. Sort of seemed like a repeat of the first game, which is, you know, for some people probably pretty troublesome given the Dallas Mavericks have kind of had our number for the last couple of years. Their offensive scheme really does – does really seems to run circles around our defensive scheme. Giannis had 24 points, 14 rebounds. Chris had 13 points. Both Holl- Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez had 11 points. Giannis went just one of seven from the free throw line, which was disappointing after that encouraging first outing. But um, I, I
1: don't know. Is there anything really to say about that game,
0: Kyle, other than
1: it seemed pretty close to a repeat of the first one? Um, yeah, it was pretty much the same game that we had saw last Friday, which was unfortunate. The one little detail that was different was it seemed as though the Bucks' offense with its starters was much more cohesive. And not only the offense, but the defense. It seemed like that starting five, Plus, I think there's a little bit of DJ Wilson mixed in or Bobby Porters. One of those two is mixed in. But during that second quarter when they went on that run and scored the 41 points in that quarter, it was primarily those six or seven guys, which is encouraging to see because that at least tells us that when this this unit clicks, it's going to be really, really good. And I think we saw promising signs of that. It was good to see Dante have a bounce-back game after he struggled in the first preseason game. It was good to see Drew Holiday seem a little bit more comfortable with the offense. But, I mean, defensively, it was still the same issues that plagued Milwaukee in the first game. But at least offensively, they looked better. And with the guys that are going to get the majority of the play, the Bucks were better than Dallas. It wasn't until, you know, Giannis and Chris and Drew were starting to get less and less minutes in the second half, in which things started, you know, getting out of hand, I would say.
2: The only thing I really have to note from that game, the only guy I have a positive plus minus, Dante Vincenzo. three points, one of four from the floor, one of four from three. So shout out to Dante, continuing your uh, your campaign of redemption. I, I agree with a lot of what Kyle said. It was. Not disturbing necessarily because a lot of the preseason so far has been working on the principles for a lot of the guys and we'll talk a little bit later about a rotation but you could tell like you know Pat Connaughton is getting thrown out there pretty late into the game and I think that's more so not indicative of like Pat's place in the rotation or where these guys are going to be in the rotation but more so Pat already knows how things work so let's get everybody else out there to give them minutes. Um, the, the other thing that I thought was just interesting overall from the preseason and this showed in the Mavs game especially was uh, the starters got quite a few more minutes than I think anybody would have expected. So Chris had 30 minutes, Drew played for 30 minutes, Giannis played for 27 minutes. Um, I think it was pretty similar in the first Mavs game because I remember us all tweeting like, oh, okay, ha bud, you're starting to run your guys like actual minutes, but it's in a preseason game rather than in the second round of the playoffs. Um, I don't know. it. it it's just more so these first three games have been like, has there been anything promising from the new guys is what I'm focusing on. Drew looks pretty good. Um, and I think he looked really good in the Pelicans game. Uh, Bryn Forbes, he had like a decent shooting night against the Mavs, which is like, okay, well, that's that's what he's here for. So that's good. Um, the rookies have still looked pretty decent. So that was the... Biggest takeaway from the Mavs is like like Kyle said, very similar to the first game. A lot of the defensive issues we've had seem to continue to be there, but how much of that is Boonholzer has no willingness to change versus Boonholzer's just, again, wanting to get these principles down and then we have the rest of the season to work on it?
0: Yeah, that second game, I thought it, mostly because of the Mavericks and, you know, Luka Doncic plays, what's he plays? Uh, just had it pulled up here. 29 minutes in the first game. you played around 16. So there was definitely a lot more intensity in that second game felt a little bit more like a regular season game at points. Uh, we didn't have the NASA's coming in and getting like second quarter minutes or anything. So you did get a little bit more intensity in that one, um, which probably made it even a little bit more discouraging that the defense still couldn't hold up. But like you said, Riley, I mean, the thing about the preseason is you're always just looking for flashes from people. Uh, You know, there's, there's, there's been some nice, little pick and roll action um, with Drew Holiday in terms of some side pick and rolls. Those have been nice to see. We saw DJ Augustine once again really look like the more of a floor general, much more so than some of our backup point guards have in, in years past. So there were some nice glimpses from the guys on the bench um, in that game. But, you know, like we said, sort of a, a repeat of the first Mavericks game. And then, of course, last Friday to close out the preseason, the Bucks faced the New Orleans Pelicans. Giannis rests in that one. Um, said it's a back issue.
1: Doubt it's actually a back issue, um, but anyway. Gotta get creative with why you're not playing players, especially if they're gonna mm-hmm. clamp down on this load management nonsense. Yeah, he, exactly. he pulled
2: his back, leaning over the contract to sign for it. I understand <laughs> he was carrying all that, all that weight, all that money on his back. I get what he was doing.
0: Yeah. I was surprised that they didn't have the, what's that brand of, of tequila or whatever that Eden's and Lazry bought into with Jordan? Is they it Casamigos?
2: And, Is that what it's you know, called? Casamigos? Yeah. I'm embarrassed that I know the name of the uh, personal <laughs> tequila brand of our, of our ownership.
0: So Casamigos? Yeah. We should, we should really get like little shots of that. I should have sent that out to you guys for Christmas. That'd be great. We can do that <laughs> sometime. Anyway. Okay. So the Bucks lose to the Pelicans 127 to 113. Giannis rests. Chris looks really good, 29 points on just 9 of 16 shooting. I mean, he was he was a monster in that game. Drew Holiday had 15 points. Dante had 14 points. Um, those two in particular looked really disruptive defensively in the backcourt, which I think is what, what we really want to see. There were some steals and, and runouts led to easy buckets in transition from them. Um, but overall, you know, that was a game where we did see some decent stuff from the starters. I think it was nice, Riley, to be able to see both Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton pick up some of the offensive slack in the absence of Giannis. Cause I think we are going to see Giannis rest for probably some chunks of this year.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I think like he said, so first off, start with Chris. He's looked really, really fluid on ball the whole preseason. Uh, yeah, and part of that is because there's a lot of new guys and they all have to kind of figure out their place in the pecking order. But especially against the Pelicans, if if he gets isolated on a guy, and I think it was Brandon Ingram for the most part, I mean he takes these dudes to town. And he he started off like cold from the floor, but that did not stop him from putting up shots. And that kind of showed through. He was aggressive. He was using you know feints or like the threat of driving to open up shots. And if you know if it, he's classic. If he gets just a little bit of space he gets a shot up so quickly so that was just really good to see um that he seems to be already in like mid-season form drew as well um this is probably the one game probably because Giannis wasn't out there he had the ball on his hands quite a bit more often and there you could still see times where like he was trying to do a pick and roll brooke lopez and they just the miscommunication and turns up in a turnover or whatever but he, i'm so used to like eric bledsoe doing that not hard charging but he usually has like a a primary first option if he's driving to the basket and then passing to somebody else's secondary drew, it seems not that he moves slower, but he's more patient with the ball. Even if he's in traffic, he's kind of weaving a little bit more. And it's not like if he gets near the paint, he's going for the shot. No matter what, he seems willing to let it come to him and see who else is open before making that shot. Um, and there's a lot of times where like, you know, he'd do a stop start and then he'd be able to get a jumper real quick. It, it, I was just really impressed with a lot of what he was doing on offense Um, and, and I think the other thing is we got a bit more run of a couple of the other guys off the bench. I don't know if I would say any of them looked like awesome per se. Uh, Thanasis had like a really great fourth quarter, but that was just because clearly I think the Pelicans stopped caring and was like, all right, this dude's try hardy. So (laughs) we'll let him go off. Um, Jalen Adams, he looked fine. I think he'll be okay as like a third point guard. Um, Bryn Forbes shot awful from the floor, but he's just going to be hot and cold. And I thought the other Big two guys we could give a shout out to was Jordan Wara and Sam Merrill, um, especially Sam Merrill because he had quite a – I think he went two or three from three. Jordan Wara had that awesome like off the dribble, like step back jumper from the wing or whatever. So um, they've not a ton to take away besides Chris and Drew looking good um, and some of the bench guys looking serviceable, which is what you would hope for from your third preseason game. Yeah,
1: and I was going to say, especially in that fourth quarter when it was a lineup of, I think it was like Meryl, Wara, Adams, Diakite, and Donassus, and the Pelicans still had like Zion, Alonzo Ball out there. And that roster, that lineup was still doing a decent job. Like, I, don't, they weren't hemorrhaging points. They were still struggling to score, which is understandable. But the fact that they weren't just hemorrhaging points or Zion wasn't able to just eat them all alive, it was very impressive and encouraging at the very least that, you know, I don't expect this lineup to ever see the light of day, but at least it kind of shows that maybe this depth is a little bit better than it was last year, or at the very least, because you have a younger bench. Athletically, they can kind of keep up with some with the Pelicans, or you know, more teams that have more athleticism than that than the Bucks. I think Dante Divincenzo again had another good game. It seems like he's really building into it because the first game was terrible. The second game, he was fine, had his moments defensively. And then the third game seemed like, especially early on when no one else could hit a shot, he was the one that was trying to be aggressive. Um, he was driving to the rim. He was giving some shots off. He It was kind of like him and Chris were the two that were the focal points of the offense, which was fine. Yeah, it would have been nice to see them get some shots falling, but they were still at least aggressive, and I was encouraged to see from Dante after their release. And Milwaukee shot terribly in the first quarter, I think – the Between Portis and Dante and maybe Chris, I think they just could not get a shot, especially at the rim, which was a bit concerning, but I guess that's also understandable when you're going against Zion and Steven Adams at once. I feel like that's not a fun thing to try and navigate through, but kind of like what Riley was saying with Drew, he's definitely more patient with the ball. I think that helps. I think seeing Chris continue to shoot, and especially in that second and third quarter when those shots were falling, he was in a rhythm. That was good to see that he had the confidence to do it. Sam Merrill definitely – if he can shoot 35%, that would be considered a win because he can kind of do what Kyle Horner was supposed to do last year. Come in, fire up some shots. If you hit them, great. If you don't hit them, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Warren just seems like a guy that's going to be able to – he's going to be at the – how do I describe it? The athletic – he's not necessarily great at one thing, but he uses athleticism to get him looks that probably none of some of the other Bucks players can't. So that was good to see – um, Diakite, I'm still, I want to see more because I'm, he's an interesting player in my opinion. Like, I feel like I don't know enough about him, but he he has the tools to be really good and he has the tools to be promising. I just don't know what those tools are completely, but it is what it is. I mean, the Pelicans were running their starters late into the game. Like, the Bucks stopped playing Chris and Drew pretty much halfway through the third quarter. So, it was kind of tough to know after that point what to make of the game besides, you know, some of these younger players are doing a decent job.
0: Yeah. we also got it. You were talking earlier, Riley, about the difference between Drew Holiday and Eric Bledsoe. We got that <clears throat> in stark display in that game as we we were reunited with Eric Bledsoe. I have to admit, I got a little wistful. I felt, a, I missed him just a little. I don't know why. I certainly didn't miss him when he was like dribbling in and he just like, boof, you know, ball just went right out of bounds. It was like, Oh, okay. That's right. That's what Eric Bledsoe does. But I did I did miss him a little bit and I liked seeing him, you know, reuniting with all the other guys on the Bucks team. And there was like a nice note from Zora Stevenson that like in his media availability bled so I was talking about how those guys will always be his brothers or whatever. Uh and it once again reminded me that I think it's gonna take me a while to get used to this new new cast of characters. I love Giannis and I love Chris and Brooke and all that and Dante obviously, but uh, I don't know, we went through, I feel like we got, went through a lot with that that sort of core group from the last two years, and it's just so, just feels even more disappointing that they couldn't quite get over the top.
2: Uh, disappointing, know. and they were almost to a certain extent like a safety blanket, because it, last night watching it, and you could feel this this all prior to the Giannis extension, was like the stress of, oh my god, we're like a whole new roster, we're trying to figure this out on the fly. Like, is it going to work out? Like we, we swapped out so many of the players. Whereas the year previous, it was like, even if we did bad in the preseason, like, well, I know what to expect. Like roughly from Eric and company, we see, they just came off of like a really awesome first season. Like when it all came together, it's like, okay, we'll probably, we know that this team is capable. We should have to hope that they're better in the playoffs. And so the fact that they weren't better in the playoffs forced this change. I'm not lamenting that they had to do the change, but you're right. That, uh, a little unusual having to go into a season with a team. It was like, well, I don't know what to fully expect from everybody. Whereas last year it was like, oh, okay, we swap out Brogdon for Wes Matthews and we know what, you know, Wes is a really established veteran. We know what to expect from him. And this time it's like, I didn't even know Bring Forbes was a guy in the league before uh, he became <laughs> part of this team. So I guess we're going to see what happens.
0: Um. Uh, last note on the preseason before we move on to our season preview. Any concerns, Kyle, in terms of the three point percentage? Bucks shot just twenty seven point nine percent from deep in the preseason, thirty one for one eleven. Opponents shot fifty one for one twenty one, forty two percent. Any any concerns?
1: I'm not concerned about Milwaukee shooting because I feel like they're. It's just going to be streaky. You know, one game they're going because of the volume of threes that they take. I don't think they're going to continuously shoot, you know, 28% from three. I would say it's going to be closer to like a 34, 35%, mainly because, you know, some of the guys that are taking threes are not going to take as many. And you have, you know, someone like Brent Forbes, who he's going to hit, you know, one game's going to be six of eight. Another game's going to be two of nine. Pat Connaughton is going to be like, there's so many streaky shooters that it's just going to eventually average out to be like 33, 30, four. So I'm not concerned on that end. On the defensive side, I'm a little concerned because this is an issue that we saw the last two years when the Bucks would lose games last year before the lockdown. It was always we kept chalking up to outlier outlier shooting night. I don't know how that's going to continue, especially when you look and most of these teams have at least two or three shooters that can shoot on the floor at the same time. I'm a little concerned with this zone zone drop scheme. It is going to give teams more looks and when you play bad teams especially bad teams are going to just shoot threes regardless or if you go against a brooklyn you go against golden state you go against i would say even like a miami or boston like if they have an open look they're going to take it so that is a little that's still a little bit concerning part of that is the defensive scheme and it's intended for that to happen but it's definitely – that's where I'm more concerned about because, you know, 42% while a little high, I mean, I feel like it wasn't that much higher than what team shot against the Bucs last year.
2: I, to be fair to the Bucks, these were two teams that stylistically uh, probably are in extra special difficulty for Milwaukee. So Dallas last year, they were statistically the best offense. I don't know if it was like in league history, but it was like crazy efficient. Um, the Luka Doncic thing where he – is able to drive and also essentially sort of shoot from three and our defense kind of collapses in on him and he's able to find guys with ease, you know, not fun to watch you get drilled from three that way, but okay. And then with Zion, I mean, it didn't matter who the Bucks threw on him to defend. I mean, he had a pretty easy night of it. I felt bad for DJ Wilson having to get the call for a couple of minutes to guard. Him. I was like, that's <laughs> that cannot be fun for DJ to have to deal with. Um, and so, he's again, he's like a force of nature, totally unique player. Now there's a lot of teams in the league, especially the higher end ones, who have guys who are like that in different ways. And so we'll see how they adjust. But for the preseason, for guys just figuring things out, these are two tough matchups, in that they had either the personnel or the kind of strategy to really exploit what we give teams. And I don't know if that'll hold up as we hopefully continue to add on during the season.
0: Yeah, it's certainly not going to continue at this clip. <clears throat> I wouldn't read too much into these couple games. If you, if we were looking at the number, I was just looking at them here. So last year, Bucks opponents shot thirty five point five percent from three against them. Bucks shot thirty five percent from three. I would be I would be looking more at if you're interested in this I would I would look at the volume of three point shots that the Bucks give up that's a lot more you know usually stable number to look at three point percentage is pretty variable but definitely keep an eye on how the Bucks three point percentage stacks up because for years it's kind of been well the Bucks you know Bucks are a good three point shooting team but in reality they're kind of just an okay three point shooting team. And they brought in guys specifically to try to address that. So if they're sticking around, you know, 35 percent again this year, I'd be a little bit concerned whether that's going to translate to the postseason like they were anticipating. So that'll be something interesting to watch. All right. I want to move on and let's talk about a little bit of questions for the season ahead. So the Bucks are going to tip off their regular season on Wednesday, December 23rd against the Boston Celtics. A lot of interesting questions for this regular season, much more so than last year. We've covered that extensively, given the new arrivals. I, I think first and foremost, the big, the, you know, the biggest question falls upon Bud, and will we see, you know, new wrinkles offensively and defensively? Kyle, do you think? Do you anticipate being able to see those early on, or is that something you think we'll have to wait until partway through the season to see it incorporated more?
1: I don't think we'll see it on the defensive side. I do think we'll see it on offense, mainly because of the personnel that is out there with Drew Holiday, who can play both on the ball and off the ball. You might see a little bit of variation there. You will see it with Dante DiVincenzo. So out of the starting lineup, you know, those guys are probably going to, kind of do their own thing at times compared to the five out system and then when you get to the bench that's when it starts getting a little bit more i, I feel like it's going to be more fluid mainly because of the personnel you know you have bobby portis out there when he gets the ball especially in the post he's going to throw a shot up or you know you have dj augustine who's going to be more capable running a pick and roll than anyone that we have seen on this roster in the past few years when you have you know a sam merrill who's going to come off the bench and shoot that's something to see. So, I think offensively we'll see more of those adjustments or fluidity just because of the personnel that's out there. I think defensively, I don't expect it to change just because Bud's like Riley and Adam, you were both saying, Bud's going to want these guys to understand the defensive principle first. So, first, they need to understand that before Bud's going to decide to throw out some wrinkles, maybe switching, you know, stuff like that. So, I think it's going to take some time for the defense to adjust, but I think offensively we'll start seeing it right away just because the personnel is going to dictate it more. So compared to previous years when it's was like, well, run it back, we know how to run it now. It's going to be a little bit more of a, everyone's still learning it. So they're going to have to make some adjustments and have some things tailor-made. And I think, you know, having Chris Middleton a little bit more empowered to be more aggressive is going to change that detail as well.
2: You know, I do wonder on the offensive end, how much change can we really expect? Because what did we do the past two seasons? It was like primarily run things through Giannis and Chris, who are the guys who are still on the team. Giannis and Chris are still on the team. So ostensibly, even if you stagger the bench lineups, you're going to have one of those guys out there. And thus, everything's going to run through them, which is fine because they're the best players on the team offensively. You know, that's just the reality of it. But I'm not expecting a ton of change one way or the other and I'm not even sure what change would look like like on the offensive end the change that I would want is can Giannis have different shot selection do we have a different guy bringing the ball up the court it can be even small stuff like that where you know in the past what we did was just like yet let Giannis run full head of steam into whatever he wants and of course that is what (laughs) killed us in the playoffs and so Is there slight changes on even just who brings the ball up and starts the offensive set? You know, that would be my main thing. I can't imagine a lot of the guys on the bench, they're limited players for a reason. They're going to kind of do whatever, like the small tangential roles are out there for Um, defensively. I think we have to, we'll see more changes there simply because we don't have Brooks literal blood twin on the team. And so when our biggest backup center is Bobby Portis, who is undersized for a center. Um, and I saw it, you could see it in the Pelicans game. He was like doing drop zone. I'm like, I mean, you know, I guess we'll just do Bobby Portis drop zone. That works. And, and again, that's probably more so just because they're trying to learn what to do. But we will find out, I think, relatively quickly that our lack of size on the roster, while that's, probably by design that's going to have to force some sort of stylistic change because, you know, whether it be Giannis at center more trying to deal with mobile centers or centers who do like a lot of pick and popping um, or or whether, I mean, you know, I'm so used to the defensive, the the drop scheme that I don't even know like what a different scheme, I doubt it's like a zone or anything like that. But I, I think we will see probably more market shifts on the defensive end simply because we have the pieces in place already on offense and the big differentiators like what does drew do on the ball essentially yeah i'm
0: interested to watch the defense i i know i know bud wants bobby portis to understand zone drop coverage but the guy i mean the guy looks like he's just running around on roller skates in the zone drop so far i mean it is it is it is pretty bad he he does not seem like he has any idea where to
2: go He's he's just it. dreaming of, like, I can't wait for this defensive possession to be over so I can run the floor and try and get in position <laughs> for a shot on the other end, which I, I salute Bobby for that. That's a good mentality to have for, for him, I guess. Play it's, to your strikes. <laughs> it,
0: exactly. It's it's tough because, you know, offensively, it's so much easier to see little wrinkles offensively. And I'm, I'm certainly not that basketball smart, but it's so much easier to be like, oh, wow, look at that side pick and roll with Drew and Giannis. That's kind of nice to see. Oh, look at Giannis get a little post-up turnaround elbow jumper as opposed to being like, oh wow, look at they're they're, you know you know, changing up their pick and roll coverage ever so slightly. This guy's rubbing as mm-hmm. opposed to like having to go over or under or whatever <laughs> it is. that kind of stuff.
2: Well they're in a one two one one zone right now. Yeah. And it's, it's it's impressive you're seeing that right now.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean it, it gets it gets simplified to the point where now it's like our our argument is basically you know, they can either play zone drop or they can switch. But I mean, there's, there's so many other looks, like there's so many other different type of strategic things that Bud could try and employ in there. I mean, you hear about all these different defensive that that Nick nurse turns out, he runs this specific zone he goes to this, this box and one, you heard all of those. That was like the hot defensive coverage or whatever. Like, wow, he brought that out on Steph Curry. That's crazy. Um, but you know, I, I think that'll be something that, like you said, defensively, we may have to see it, you know, out of necessity, but I still don't think we'll see it for a while. I think we'll see the offensive wrinkles um, pretty early on here. All right. Next question I have, which new piece will take the longest to acclimate to this Bucks roster? Who do you think Riley?
2: Well, it's not going to be Bobby Portis because he's already the third highest usage guy on the team. So uh, not going to be Bobby. Um, I don't know, new guy. So I'm going off of like free agents just because they're probably going to get more play time than the rookies. Um, probably Bryn Forbes. I don't know. It's difficult. Be I expect him to probably struggle the most because he's like the most limited. He has one really valuable skill, but that valuable skill seems to be streaky. Um, and so in terms of like fitting in and being a plus contributor, it'd probably be him because I think against the Pelicans, he had a a minus 30 plus minus, uh, and he was out there for like 15 minutes, not good. And you see on defense, he gets, I mean, just minor contact and he gets totally blown up on any sort of coverage. So I think he's going to have a really tough time on defense. And if his shot isn't falling right away, that's going to be like. Okay, uh, it's going to come around here eventually, right? Because, you know, there was a bit of a discussion prior to the season of, oh, maybe he's the fifth starter because he's the shooter guy. Well, I mean, you know, he looks as bad as advertised on defense, and if that's going to be the case uh, and his shot isn't falling, I'm not so sure about the starter position. So he would be my guy I'd pick up as a uh, guy who will struggle most to fit in.
1: Yeah, I I have to agree because I'm thinking of the new guys. So I was like, well, Drew, no, because he's – intelligent enough that he'll pick it up relatively quickly Bobby Portis he knows his role at least he thinks he knows his role so that's (laughs) a different situation um you know DJ Augustine I think he's going to be the savvy veteran point guard off the bench I think his role is going to be pretty easy for him to pick up on so I I have to go with Brent just because as I've said if he can't hit his shots then why is he out there and that's going to be the toughest part he's already a, he's still relatively undersized I just I just I struggle to see if he doesn't hit his shots what he's going to help Milwaukee do and if he struggles does Bud continue trying to throw him out there because you know Pat Connaughton could in theory come in and take those minutes maybe Sam Merrill could in theory come in and take those minutes as well so I think it's going to be tough I think Brent Forbes is going to be okay but i think it's just if he goes through like a four game stretch where he's struggling to shoot then what do you do with him do you just let him try and shoot it out or do you try and go for a different option because there's only 72 games and they're going to be very fast paced i'm sure there's going to be a lot of rotation i think a lot of guys are gonna get a lot of chances so i guess that would be my only question is if he goes through like a four game stretch of struggling do you just continue to ride it ride it out with him or do you just go with someone else
0: yeah, how do you guys see that that rotation kind of shaking out? That feels like it's kind of – you know, Bud was – the first year Bud was here, he would just – he would run with Dante. He ran with Dante first, and then all of a sudden Pat was coming in, and then, you know, someone else might get the nod. I, I can't tell if he's going to be running these guys out, you know, in runs or if he's just going to stick with his guys. Like if, if Pat's just going to keep getting the call or if he's going to be willing to be like, all right, it's Sam Merrill's time. It's Jordan Wara's time. Like how, how do you guys – how do you see him trying to handle that that specific guard rotation?
1: I think it's going to be kind of like what he did in year one, just because of the newer players on the bench. Because when I think about it, DJ Augustine will come in, he'll be the point guard, no problem. But then you have three guys that could replace Dante and give him a breather at the two. And that's assuming that Drew Holiday doesn't play a lot of time at the two as well. So... Yeah, maybe I'll go to Pat Connaughton at the beginning of the season because Pat Connaughton knows the system well enough that he can, but doesn't have to worry about the learning curve there. Or maybe he's going to go with Bryn Forbes because Bryn Forbes is the best shooter out of those three. So he goes with that. Maybe he goes to Sam Merrill because let's just give this young guy a chance. Let's see what he can do. If he doesn't get it right away, that's not the end of the world. He is a 60th pick in the draft. You know, there's it's a low risk, high reward scenario. So I think he's going to kind of give each of them a shot. I think it's just going to depend. Like I said, Pat will probably get it at first because he knows the system well enough and he knows the other guys well enough. But I wouldn't be surprised if Bryn had a chance to come in first out of those three or Sam Merrill was getting surprising minutes off of that. It's just going to depend on the situation and what Bud's goal is for the preseason. Are they going to try and get the best record? Because if he is, he's probably going to go with Pat because Pat knows it best. If he's trying to figure out what he's going to do in the playoffs, maybe he goes with Bryn because Bryn's going to have that one key aspect of the shooting where maybe it can help him. It's just going, I think it's going to rotate at least in the first half of the season. And then maybe that second half is when Bud decides which of those three is going to get most of that playing time.
2: How does the phrase go? You know, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them or something along those lines. Uh, we know who Mike Boonholzer is, guys. There's no shame in that. Uh, and there's a reason why Pat Connaughton is getting paid $16 million over the next three seasons. He's Bud's guy. He's he's the one guy, I mean, besides the starters, he's like the one Bud guy who's left on the roster. So yeah, of course he's going to get the most minutes. I, I, like I said earlier, I would not take the fact that he was like the last guy off the bench as indicative of, Boone holds really loves everybody else I fully expect on Wednesday that Pat probably won't be the very first guy I'm guessing it'll be like DJ off the bench or DJ Augustine off the bench first but I fully expect Pat to be like the seventh man like this just no reality where that's not going to be the case uh, whether or not that's throughout the whole season I don't know but uh, I mean even deep into the playoffs these past two years Pat has gotten a healthy number of minutes too. So uh, I really, I don't go into this season expecting any of the new guys to impress so much, unless for whatever reason, Sam Merrill is like a bud guy, which as the 60th overall pick, I can't imagine that's the case. Um, I, I don't see it uh, going any other way than Pat. And then we'll just kind of fill in everybody else past that.
0: Is there any chance that Drew Holiday takes, not that he'll take the longest to acclimate, but that he might take the longest to reach what we're hoping from him, given his expectations are pretty high and he needs to sort of manage being, because, you know, I guess he was probably, I guess maybe he was a third option when Zion was there like last year, because maybe it was like Ingram, Zion, then him. Mm -hmm. But I'm just trying to think about him. We expect him to be like, if they're shutting down Giannis and Chris isn't scoring, he needs to provide instant offense in a way that Eric Bledsoe couldn't in the playoffs last year. Is there any chance that he might take the longest to kind of get up to what we're hoping from him?
2: You go,
1: Kyle. I feel like it's tough because it depends on what we, our expectations are. If we're expecting him to be this savior, it's going to take a while. It's probably not going to happen until the playoffs. But I think we've already seen – from the first game what drew can do is just a matter of can he take it can he get up to the levels that we've seen from him on other teams can he get to the level that we've heard that he can get to i think that's going to be the better question i don't think i honestly don't think it will because he is a talented enough player and a smart player he's going to be playing with the starters so he's got better players around him so that's going to give him that chance to I think he's going to have that ability, right? He has the ability to achieve it faster than I would probably have given, you know, say Eric Bledsoe. So I I don't think it'll take that long. I think he's too talented and too smart of a player where it wouldn't happen. I just think it's more the expectations that we're putting on him that's going to have to, that we have to kind of figure out.
2: I'm trying to remember what. Bledsoe ended up averaging last season. I'll look it up right now, but I I would agree with Kyle that I'm not too worried about him acclimating himself because even in the couple the first preseason game, I mean, again, they had been playing together for all of three days at that point. So it was totally like, I have no idea what's happening out here. I'm just trying to like exist. Um, Eric averaged 14 points a game last season. I could easily see uh, Drew getting to that much. I mean, just from the limited minutes we've seen in the preseason, I've been impressed with what he does on the ball. Again, it doesn't seem frenetic. It seems very patient, very measured how he goes about it. And no, he's not going to be like a guy. I mean, maybe he'll go hot from three every once in a while, but it seems like he's going to have a multi-tool set of offensive skills. And that will help out whether or not he's leading a bench unit, um, whether or not Chris and Giannis need a breather, or it just happens to be a possession that falls mostly in his lap or whatever. Um, and, and again, he's like a, what is it? Twelve-year veteran or whatever. I think close to something like that. You know, it, he's a guy who has played at really high level for a lot of teams, and like you said, Adam, he's coexisted on other teams, even when he was with Philly. Um, He coexisted with a couple other guys who, like you would think, would be more headliners, offensively speaking. And so I'm not too concerned about his acclimating on either end. Probably defense, just because if there's some specific thing that Budenholzer wants him to do that he hasn't been called on in the past, and again, I'm sure he'll acclimate to that pretty quickly. Um, But I'm not too, too worried. It'll just be, are we looking for like a 20-point a game score I don't think that's gonna be the case with Drew and I think that's perfectly fine if he again if the box score looks a lot like what Eric did but stylistically it's just an improvement well that's exactly what you paid the guy for so
0: yeah fair enough all right next question I have for you because this is obviously premature but I think it's important to see where we're at now in terms of our thinking Kyle I want you to build out your eight-man playoff rotation that Bud's running with in, in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. These are the eight guys that Bud, Bud's going to go with. That's going to lead us to the promised land. Who you got?
1: Who are they playing?
0: <laughs> Honest uh, all right, let's say Brooklyn. They're facing Brooklyn.
1: Okay, then, so you have the starters, DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis, because I need another big. And against a team like Brooklyn, I'd probably say Bryn Forbes. That's eight. Yeah. So, Bryn Forbes, if they're playing Brooklyn,
2: that a eight-man rotation. Are you considering Dante a starter in that situation? Is he the fifth starter? I'd
1: say the starters are Drew, Dante, Giannis, Chris, Brooke. Okay.
2: I would agree. I think – I think this would be a good exercise to do like once every month or once every month <laughs> and a half, just to be like who, which of the bench guards is like not, not bad right now. Or like, can we tolerate? Um, I, mine is pretty similar. So I, I also have Dante as the fifth starter. Um, so drew Chris, Dante, Giannis, Brooke, um, then my three other guys, uh, DJ Augustine as the two-point guard, slash uh, you can move him in, move Drew up a little bit if Dante's struggling or something. I think he's he offers quite a few different um, looks for you. Bobby, because we have no other backup like bigs whatsoever, and... In a series against like Brooklyn or like any high level competition, I'm a little scared for what the Bobby Portis experience is going to be like. Though he he has noted in the past that he does have playoff experience. So Bobby, that's not what I'm saying. You do have a uh, playoff experience. The uh, eighth guy. Uh, I, so this is like the example. I'm really down on Bryn Forbes off after three preseason games. So Tori Craig would be my guy, um, and I think. You know, he's been a train wreck offensively, but we knew he was going to be a train wreck offensively. I've not been like him on ball or like taking shots. I'm like, eh, it's a waste of possession, but whatever. But on defense, uh, he looks passable. And so if you're playing a team that has like, you know, a really good wing or like a, a, you know, decent sized forward and he's able to guard and kind of help spell a guy, I think he would be my eighth rotation guy.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I you know, God love Pat Connaughton, but I don't need to see him guard Luka Doncic much anymore. Like, kudos to you, Bud, for thinking that maybe he could do that, stretching him out, really giving him an assignment. Um, I think I would go. I think I would go identical to Riley. Tori Craig was a guy. Tori Craig's the guy that coming out of the preseason. I feel like I have the. Maybe I just—that's just what he is. Like he's just a defensive stopper. But I feel like I have zero handle on what his actual role is going to be when he's playing, if he's if he's even going to play meaningful minutes because he seemed to be like the tenth, eleventh guy off the bench. And like, sure, put Thanasis in before Tory Craig or whatever you want to do, Bud. But I'm interested to see where he's going to go. So yeah, I would go the starters, and then I would go um, Augustine, Portis, of course, and uh, and Tory Craig. What what about uh? Kyle, what about for a closing lineup? Let's say, and I know we could do the starters, but when there's a closing lineup and let's say for some reason they'd want to go smaller and go Giannis at center, so there's no Brooke. Do you have any idea who Bud, who you would want in there if Bud's trying to swap someone out for Brook? Yeah, I, it's
1: only, it's. I guess it comes down to, do you would go with the three guard lineup of Dante, Drew, and DJ Augustine? Or do you do, you know, DJ Augustine, Drew Holiday, and then either Portis or Craig to go with? That's like, that's kind of the tough part. It's like, what idea are you trying to go with with Giannis at center? Because I probably would go with DJ, Dante, and Drew just because there's more you can do offensively and you still have Giannis there as the help defender to clean up any messes that is there i i'd go with that but there are concerns that i would have defensively just because putting two smaller guards out there is going to depend and it depends on the opponent but i think i would go yeah the three guard lineup of drew dj and dante with chris and Giannis.
2: Dude, I'm scared to death of Bobby Portis. I know, like, like the whole. I am dreading the whole experience, not because I think he's going to be a bad player, because he's shown that he's like something on offense. But I'm really worried about like the amount of minutes he's going to have coming his way. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that there is a decent big of some sort on the buyout market midway through the season, because we are going to need something else there. Yeah. So um, is John and he, um, I think, uh, you know, if we are going into like, let's say a closing lineup in the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's like the Brooklyn Nets, they have KD, they have Kyrie, and our counter is like Bobby Portis is out there. <laughs> I mean, we're we're not making it to the finals, folks. That's just the truth of it. So I, I would agree with Kyle that probably the three-guard lineup, for all its warts, uh, would be the way you go about it. You're going to have Giannis having to do a lot of cleanup defensively, But he would be having to do a lot of cleanup defensively as the center anyhow. Um, So you would ostensibly swap that with the higher power offense that you would hopefully get with the three-guard lineup. So uh, I would go that way versus the Bobby Portis break glass in case of emergency option.
0: It's going to be a fascinating thing to monitor this year. All right, last question before we make some predictions. Uh, Anyone want to stake your claim on Jordan Wara versus Sam Merrill in the, the rookie battle, who you who you think is gonna get. Let's go who you want and then who you think will get more minutes this year.
1: Alright. So I want Jordan Wara because I think he's going to be able to handle that wing responsibility. He could probably guard threes, maybe even fours. He has the athleticism. He's a he goes for rebounds. He is a hustle guy. He's got a good shooting touch. I think he can do a little bit of things that is going to be enough so that if you need him for you know 10 minutes, he's going to do the job real he's going to do the job pretty well. I think he has the safer floor, but I think it'll be Sam Merrill that'll get it, only because A, he's got less competition in terms of Pat and Bryn Forbes that he's got to compete against. And B, if Sam Merrill shoots at a decent rate, he's going to continue playing. And that'd be great because I've, I've been saying, you know, if you can take Kyle Korver's role and shoot 34, 35%, I'd call that a win. So I think Merrill will probably get the advantage just because his competition is not as tough as Wara's, where he's going, he's already got Giannis. He's got Chris. There's already Tory Craig. Maybe DJ Wilson gets some chances, and DJ Wilson hasn't been a train wreck either. So it's just a little bit tougher for Wara because of the guys in front of him compared to Merrill.
2: I would also agree. I would vote for Wara just because I think a guy his size and like his skill set seems a little more varied than Merrill. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to totally eat crow, but Merrill's looked okay, like speed wise on both ends of the floor. Like he hasn't been an utter disaster. So I think for the 60th overall pick, you're like, nailed it so far, three preseason games in. Um, I think it probably will actually also be Wara just because, I mean, So it works in, like, the counteract, right? So as Kyle said, Merrill's not going to have as much competition, but I I would think we almost have, like, more depth or, like, you can move the guards around more often, whereas if Torrey Craig, for whatever reason, is injured, your only other, like, forward option is DJ. Uh, That's it. Or, like, Thanasis, I guess. And as much as I love Thanasis, still not sure convinced he's a legit NBA player. And so I would see especially because I think the NBA is allowing like 15 active players on the game night roster or whatever. I could see for whatever reason, if he's somebody's injured or something are getting a couple of minutes. So um, I don't know. I, I can't imagine Sam Merrill's going to get a ton of playing time just because there's enough guards on the roster that Boonholz is going to be interested in mixing and matching with those guys because he's going to be more likely to place them in the playoffs. Um, and War will probably just be like, body essentially because we know who we're going to have to play in the playoffs from the forward rotation.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go. I like more more. I agree with the size is something that you can't really teach that Merrill certainly looked, looked decent as a, as a pure shooter thus far, incredibly small sample size, but Wara's stroke looks really pure too. It looks like he's got a little more off the dribble juice to him. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be war. And I think eventually as the year goes on, he might get, you know, he, he might be the guy who will get some more minutes from Bud. So, all right, let's move on. Let's make some official, official predictions. And this is, we'll have a round table coming out on Brew Hoop this week with our predictions. But, uh, Riley, how far are you predicting the Bucks to advance this year in the 2020-2021 season?
2: So, uh, my record prediction was 48-24 and 24 out of the 72 games, assuming they're able to play all 72 games uh, COVID times. I think they'll be the three seed in the East because that's the mark that Boston reached and they were the three seed last year. Um, and I think that they will get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think they will fall short. I don't know if that'll be against like the Nets or against the Heat or against like, – I don't know who the other team will be, but I think they will make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You have a different enough roster that they will – have a different ceiling and other teams aren't going to know how to defend them necessarily. Um, And so that will get them there, but they will probably fall to a more higher powered, you know, offense or something like that in the finals or Eastern conference finals, I should say. I
1: weirdly enough said 46 and 26. So I had a worse record, but they still get the two seed. And I think it's more because the East is going to, they're going to beat each other up between the Bucks between Boston Philly Brooklyn and Miami like those five teams are all just going to take games off of each other so I still think and I think one of those teams is going to really chase that one seed while Milwaukee might just be okay with the two or three seed Um, especially if depending on matchups maybe they know like okay Miami is probably going to be a four or five let's just get a two or three so that way we don't have to deal with them until the conference finals at best we can handle We know they know they could beat Boston. They probably could beat Philly. Brooklyn's kind of a wild card. We don't know. So I think they're gonna do that. I think they make the finals and win in a tough seven game series against the Lakers. I think not it's gonna be in spite of Bud, ironically. I I think they're going to the offense between Drew and Chris and Giannis is going to do more on its own. And they're gonna kind of do things their way instead of trying to follow Bud's system. And I think defensively, it's going to, I think it's going, there's going to be a breaking point where they're going to have to say, fuck it, we're switching. We we, we can't continue to do this. It's not working. And I think that's going to be something that it is going to be because the players are going to push for it instead of Bud actually making the adjustments, but pop the bottles. Maybe there'll be a parade. It's going to be great.
0: <laughs> I like the optimism. Unfortunately. Yeah. I'm I'm a little more with the Riley camp. I went, Forty-five and twenty-seven, so close to Kyle. And I also want a two seed. I agree, teams are going to beat each other up. I think this is going to be a really weird year, where a lot of people might be resting. There could be some COVID absences, so we could be seeing—oh, God knows—we could see be seeing DJ thirty-four minutes a night on some nights when things are getting really weird. Uh, but anyway, I expect that'll get them a two seed in the East, and I'm expecting them to lose in the conference finals. I think they'll show a lot better than last year in the playoffs, which isn't too hard given they got absolutely roasted by the Miami heat. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about, I'm just really worried about the defense. I'm really worried about our discussion. We just had about a closing lineup and how (laughs) most of the time I was kind of making weird, like probably partially because we don't know who these players are going to be yet. But I mean, I felt even better just thinking like, all right, let's just, you know, even with old, old Marvin Williams in there and George Hill, I felt, I almost felt even just a little bit better about that. Knowing there wasn't as much of a weak link, Um, but I don't know. I I think we're going to learn a lot about this team as the season goes on. I think we're going to learn a lot about, you know, a lot about button, but we're going to find out if he's really willing to finally bend um, or else his job is probably going to break and he's going to, you know, he's going to lose it. And who knows, maybe, Maybe the arrival of, of, of Mike Dunlap, who is like a really – another old coach. I mean, I think he needed some – I think he needed some maybe some no men in the room after he left or losing some of his assistants. It was weird that the first year there was all this talk about his assistants asking him to try switching defense. And then last year he's like, we're not going to do that. I mean, yeah, they had the best defense ever, so I can't say I'm like – if I were him, I'd be like, well, everything's going like the best it's ever gone. so I'm not really going to switch it up for you, but – uh, I don't know. Hopefully we see more of that this year, but I think I think eventually they'll lose in the Conference Finals. So.
2: Yeah, and a lot of it is going to probably ultimately come down to are Giannis and Chris uh, good enough, Giannis especially, to do something different and uh, be the best, like you said, multiple podcasts and Adam. Is he going to be the best player in the series? Uh, we would hope that he's able to, hopefully with a nice extension and all that off his shoulders, uh, he can go ahead and elevate because that's going to be the critical difference, because there's not nearly enough change. I mean, Drew's going to bring a different look on both ends, but I don't think there's nearly enough change for it to not then fall mostly on Giannis' shoulders as the MVP best player on the team, and he has to be the best player in the series. That's going to be, and that's the question every single time out in the playoffs.
0: Agreed. All right, let's touch on, um, real quickly, any concern regarding, well, obviously there's concern. The pandemic is still happening. COVID, COVID-19 is still out there. The NBA is allowing fans into some stadiums. They, they seemingly don't... Whatever sort of perception they wanted to have when they did the crazy safety stuff for the bubble, they've kind of punted that and decided we, we want a little more revenue. Um, I know on a Zach Lowe podcast a couple weeks ago, they talked about how he said internally teams are just planning on if a player gets it, they're probably out for at least three weeks. So... I mean, you can imagine we've seen what happens in college. I mean, the Badgers were just playing a team where one of them, the team was like, yeah, we actually feel pretty good about it because um, one person on our team got it. And then uh, 16 out of our 17 players got COVID. So we've basically all had COVID-19. I mean, it can spread so easily throughout a team. We've already seen two two teams have to shut down their facilities because players have tested positive. Like this stuff can run rampant and obviously – I think the tracking and stuff is in place to do better in the NBA to hopefully make sure it isn't an outbreak on a team. But I don't know, Kyle, how much is that kind of stuff in the back of your mind as we go into this season?
1: I mean, it's just, as we've seen from every sports season that has not done a bubble, there's going to be spread. There's maybe there might not be an outbreak, but there's going to be a couple players that are going to get it. They're going to test positive. It's, it's been proven in every situation other than a bubble the players are going to get it at some point. So it's just a matter of how bad does it spread to what extent does it go to and what happens? I mean, at least with the NBA, they can reschedule games. It seems like they could be a little bit more flexible on that compared to football, but it is, it's something that's going at least for the first couple months as you know, the vaccine still gets its way to, you know, the frontline workers, healthcare, you know, The higher, like higher age civilians, like as it gets through the first couple phases, that's going to be a little bit of a concern. I think by the time we start getting to you know the end of the regular season, hope there might be some hope by then that maybe some of these players can like players can get it. I don't think the fans is going to be that much of a concern because at least the it looks like from what I saw, they're not going to have like you know courtside seats, so it's not like the play the fans are going to be that close to the players. Thankfully, so at least you don't have to worry about that risk, but. I mean, there's going to be cases, there's going to be issues, there's probably going to be some postponements, um, just because it'd be impossible not to, with not being in a bubble, you're just running that risk, and I mean, the bubble at least showed that if you put in the restrictions, then the players can follow that, now it's just a matter of you're going to have these players at home, they're going to be around their families, what their families do, maybe their families unfortunately have to be out in public to do it. And that's then that it's like I said, there's going to be cases, there's going to be postponements. I don't think it's going to be as bad as the NFL. I don't think it's going to be as bad as Major League Baseball, but I do think there's going to be some concerns to
2: note. I uh, so I'm concerned about COVID-19 insofar as I'm still in a possibility of getting it myself. And uh, like Kyle said, regular people. Or like people that we know that work in the healthcare industry or, you know, are on the front lines or we're still susceptible while the vaccine rolls out. Uh, for the NBA in particular, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to be like some of the first people in line. It's going to go like our senators in Washington, D.C. and then the NBA players. know, I, I think it would be great if we prioritize people who are in a more uh, risky health category. But uh the NBA was also like the first ones to get like the rapid tests and like to their credit, that was like, I guess, I don't know. Do, do we credit with the NBA rapid test with like saving hundreds of thousands of lives? Because that's what they were kind of going for there. Um, but either way, I think the NBA is going to be some of the first people to get the vaccine. Um, now that doesn't necessarily prevent somebody from getting infected or anything like that. So that'd still be a concern, but it, it might even be just like a couple of weeks and we're like, oh, players are getting vaccinated and like, okay, cool. So i um, worried about it insofar as society is still ravaged by a plague. Um, NBA players themselves, I think they're going to be some of the privileged few to get it first, um, whether or not that's moral or amoral, uh, you know, that's kind of up to everybody's personal preference on that.
0: Very fair point, Riley. That's been in the back of my mind, too. Uh, I am kind of hoping they give it to some other people first, but can't can't control that. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on, obviously, and I hope everyone out there is staying safe. Right now, we're going to take a real quick break, uh, close it out with our miscellaneous topics, so stay tuned. All right, Kyle, take it away. These are going to be rapid fire questions.
1: Okay, so pretty easy ones. I try not to make it as complicated. So the first one chore that you hate doing the most i feel like i've asked this one but i might not have but chore you
2: hate doing the most I hate cleaning toilets, not because I mean, it's it by their base. It's not exactly the most like glamorous job, but my back, my arms and my neck getting down at the base of the toilet. Oh, my God. I mean, ever since I was a kid, too, I'm like, this is the worst simply because it's annoying getting down here and trying to get like the whole back (laughs) and the bottom. Um, And so that would be my one go to. I really don't mind cleaning all that much. But that one, I just I dread it because I know I'm going to be a little sore after the fact.
0: I really dislike vacuuming stairs. I I don't have a good vacuum for it. And you know, you know, you just, it's like too big. All of the heads of the vacuum are too big and you're just like constantly clanging into the sides and it doesn't pick up anything. So I really hate vacuuming stairs. It's that one's definitely top of my list.
1: All fair. I hate dishes, especially when you don't have a dishwasher to fall back on. But the other rapid fire question, you can choose one of three types of vacations, a weekend in the cabin, up north, a beach resort or a ski resort?
2: I would vote for the cabin because uh, my family, God bless them, we have a totally unelectrified, no plumbing anything cabin in Rhinelander uh, that I'm very used to going up to ever since I was a kid and I've always enjoyed it. It's very very quiet, very removed. It's a good weekend to get some reading done in nature and everything. So I would go for the cabin, uh, though the resort would be second. And I've never gone skiing before. So that would be third place for me.
0: Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go to the cabin, too. All I need is like four walls and a case of beer. And I'm like pretty,
1: pretty well set. I I, I go beach because I can still have my drinks and it's warm weather. So that's always nice. Um, Next question. Do you you're at a movie theater? What is the first thing you're buying in terms of a snack or a drink?
2: It's popcorn. What else do you go to the movie theater for the movie whatever the popcorn's why I'm there I mean I get I could give or take you know take it or leave it on movies. The popcorn is where it's at, especially if they have. And I'm sure this is a heart attack waiting to happen. The self dispenser for the butter. Yep, that's uh, yeah. And you Mm. just, yeah, yeah. Adams, Adams, doing the motion for me, demonstrating. It's it's a glorious thing, and God bless America for that. So the movie theater popcorn is the first thing I'm buying.
0: One of the best inventions. We should all have it in our own homes. (laughs) The the popcorn with the automatic butter dispenser, hundred percent. And and maybe. And a large, a large soda. Cause I have gone to a movie diet. soda. I have gone to a movie and gotten the large popcorn and no drink. And, um, I couldn't, I don't, I don't think I could speak by the end. My mouth is so dry. So definitely get a drink.
1: I, yeah. Popcorn is the go-to. And then the final question, do you prefer working alone or working in a group?
2: What is this? A job interview? How would nope. you say you are in group? Uh, in group <laughs> settings,
1: uh, I'm my career to ask these questions right now. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I'd say I would say probably working in a group just because I enjoy usually working with people. The issue is I've had a lot of experience as everybody has in like school projects and stuff where you're carrying the team like Superman or something like that, and so that that can be a little tiresome. But in general, if people are contributing, a group would be my preferred go to.
0: I, I like working alone. It's probably not the best answer for a job interview. But I I don't know. I I find it I find it helpful. I like to like talk with people and figure stuff out, but then I, I kinda like to whole hole myself away and work on something.
1: Yeah, I after being a recruiter and half of my job is waiting for other people to answer questions if they want to give someone an offer or not. And sometimes it takes days. I'd rather just do it myself and be like, I like this person. Here's an offer. So that is it for rapid fire.
0: Can I ask one more question? I'm just curious about this. Are you guys are you eggnog people or not eggnog people? Nope. No, no. Do you have a holiday
2: drink? Hot chocolate.
1: Yeah, I guess like probably yeah, probably hot chocolate is like some schnapps or something like peppermint schnapps.
2: Whoa. Okay. I don't know about that. I just, I just do base hot chocolate, but you know, I'm not a party animal, I guess. So I'm okay with just a holiday
1: drink. That is the holiday
2: drink,
0: I guess. (laughs) I wasn't sure if you guys were like hot toddy people or, you know, something like that.
1: Okay. No, I think eggnog is disgusting.
0: Well, my belly didn't think so last Friday. It was quite (laughs) good. (laughs) All right. It's time for Kyle's film review.
1: All right. So after last week's train wreck of a movie, I had to purify my soul. So we have two great ones. Uh, The first one, Jingle All the Way, uh, that was back in the 90s. It had Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think I've reviewed this one. Maybe not, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad, they're competing for a toy to give to their respective kids. Um, Just chaos ensues. And of course, they're waiting until Christmas Eve to buy this toy. They're just like causing chaos in the store. They cause chaos in the parade. It's just a mess, but it's. just it's a fun movie. I think it's underrated in terms of like Christmas movies. I feel like it's never one of like the first ones people watch, but it is like entertaining. It's not great, but I think it's like good enough that it's like you can sit down, it could be on TV, and you'd be okay with watching it. So that one I give a six and a half out of ten. The other one is The GOAT, um, Charlie Brown Christmas. I it's got it's you gotta watch it. I feel like that is a must watch. It's the best Christmas movie out there, in my opinion. Just brings back great memories. You got the classic music. You have the tree. It's just iconic. 10 out of 10. Like I said, after last week's train wreck, I had to purify. And that is my purification.
2: My my only follow-up would be this to both you guys for the movies. In, because this is the last time we'll record before Christmas. Are you in or out on the Die Hard series as a Christmas movie series?
0: I have to admit, I've never seen any of them.
1: Oof. I say yes, but I, I I, think it is just because of the time that it takes place. I would consider it a Christmas movie.
2: Okay, good. Live but well, I'm
1: like, it? we'll fight you if you think otherwise.
2: Mm-hmm. Live Free or Die Hard was an awesome movie, so highly suggested. Adam, It's not I don't think that's even anything about Christmas. You <laughs> at the timeline, it's just a part of the series, but that's my plug this week.
1: Kyle, have you ever seen Jingle All the Way 2? Did no, sequel? I, I um, am not because I heard it was terrible and I didn't want to ruin. It, it doesn't even like the same cast, right? I think it's just like a brand new group. Yeah,
0: it is. Larry the Cable Guy. It's truly one of the worst worst oh, films I've seen in the past. <laughs> yeah, no, no, can't can't
1: ruin a underrated uh, cult
2: movie.
0: <laughs> okay, next, get your tissues ready, people. It's time for a farewell to Vulture Talk.
1: What is the situation with Giannis's long term contract? Giannis has to forward.
2: Giannis. 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 And if things have gone well, Adam was able to find the recorder version of My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion to play uh, for this segment. Um, yeah, now that Giannis is back, one of my tried and true treasure troves of content is now gone. Um, You know, I want to give a shout out to the Raptors. I want to give a shout out to the council of dads of Giannis's throughout the league, all the father figures he has. Um, You know, we don't want you guys to stop being father figures to Giannis now that you're no longer going to be able to poach him from the team. Um, I would like to imagine that that was not created simply for the uh, cynical move of trying to get this guy to your team and you actually are a father figure to him. I don't know why there are 30 of you, but it is what it is. Uh, It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful run, and I think we need to give credit to a lot of teams for some of the insanity they were saying. Um, You know, we'll do this again in five years. We'll be back. Don't worry. It's You know, it's not goodbye. It's see you later.
1: (laughs) I I just couldn't keep a straight face drawn on any of that. (laughs)
2: Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I I will miss it a little bit just because like the NBC Warriors. I mean, I thought it was this is the final thing we should close on this. The story that they posted after the Giannis extension, where they were like, James Wiseman. If you look at just like his body measurements, sort of is like Giannis when he was drafted. So maybe he'll be our Giannis. I thought that was the perfect cherry on top of all the crazy they were posting for years at this point. So uh, shout out to the NBC Warriors uh, page. I hope to never hear from you ever again. So it was a good run.
0: All P-Vulture talk. That was a lot of fun. It was fun to do over the years. Um, all right. Kyle, do you want to give your predictions in case you have to go?
1: Yep, I'm going one and one. I think they beat Boston. Uh, Boston doesn't have Kemba. I think they'll be able to take advantage of that. Um, but that one-third, that early Christmas game against the Warriors – I don't know. I feel like that's going to be the Steph shoots like 10 of 15 from three and we all just light butt on fire. It's going to put us in a sour mood and early it's an early game. The Bucks have historically proven they are not good at playing early in the morning, although maybe Golden State not being used to the time zones might help as well. But no, I'm going to go one at one. And I feel like that's even being optimistic.
2: I think we can skip over the fountain pen talk this week just because we have a lot of weeks ahead and there's going to be a lot of fountain pen talk. Uh, for my prediction, I'm going to go actually 2 0. Oh. I'm going against Kyle this time. I'm going to be the optimist. I think they'll beat Boston just because, uh, opening the season rivalry, all that sort of stuff. Giannis usually, you know, I think he enjoys beating the war, uh, the, Celtics against the Warriors. I think we forget the fact that Andrew Wiggins is now a huge part to what the Warriors do. Uh, it'll be good to have Steph back, but we cannot ignore the fact that Andrew Wiggins is their second option. And so I will predict another win. We will finally correct the horrific loss against Sixers on national TV at Christmas time last year. Um, I think this will be bringing a full circle two and zero this week. I'm going one and one. I think they dropped
0: that first game at Boston. We all get in a tizzy, get upset. They head to they face Golden State then, and they pull it out because I don't think Golden State will be that good. So I think the Bucks are gonna gonna go one and one this week. Should be a good week. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. That's going to conclude this podcast. I want to wish everyone happy holidays. Please stay safe. Um, if you're able to see your parents. Please stay safe. If you're stuck at home, hopefully you know, you have more comfort available to you than just listening to this podcast, but we hope you can go to brewhoop.com. There's some lively comment sections there. If you're looking to talk bucks on Christmas day and you're just uh, alone in your home or something, follow us on Twitter at brewhoop. Um, we'll try and provide some comfort in in these difficult days because Christmas is going to look different for everyone. Holidays are going to look different for everyone. And, uh, we want to thank you again for listening and we'll talk to you again soon.